Depending on how you look at it, my job is easy this morning. On the one hand, I can't possibly improve on what you just did for one another. How can I improve on that hymn and to hear you singing, preaching to one another? It's a big task to do any better. But on the other hand, it kind of doesn't matter what I say this morning, does it? You're going to go home and you're going to hear the words of Jesus and that wonderful parable All three of those parables, really. The parable of lost things being found. But who were these lost sheep? Who were these lost sheep that the good shepherd put on his shoulders and brought with rejoicing home? Who were those diligently sought-after coins at whose finding the lady of the house throws a great feast? And who were these prodigals, these careless, reckless Sons coming to their senses and finding, finding in God a running, hugging, kissing, rejoicing kind of a father. Who were these people? St. Luke gives us some pictures of these kinds of folks, these people who ate with Jesus. And we don't know all their names and all their stories, but we do know some. So let me remind you of a few of them. You remember that there was a tax collector, don't you? Some called him Levi, but you know him better as Matthew. Jesus saw him sitting at his tax booth one day. He was probably crunching the numbers, right? He was collecting money for imperial Rome, taking Galilean coins and sending them off to fund Caesar's goals. And for that, he was despised. He was hated. And he was probably, right, he was probably lining his own pockets, too. That's what tax collectors did. A little for Caesar and a little for me. He was lost. He was despised. But Jesus saw him. Jesus found him. And suddenly, that dead man became alive. Follow me, Jesus said to Matthew. And leaving everything Luke's gospel says, he did. And the first order of business for Levi, for Matthew, was a great feast. Great feast. Remember last week, a mega banquet. See, Jesus doesn't just like, right? Jesus doesn't just like when people come to repentance. He rejoices over it. And so the first order for Matthew was to have a party. And there was Jesus rejoicing with Levi. For with Jesus, note well, repentance is always always a joyful occasion. But there were many who saw what Jesus did for Levi, for Matthew, and they grumbled. Why do you eat with these sinners, with these tax collectors? They grumbled, and they didn't just say it to Jesus, right? They attacked his friends. Why do you guys do this? But Jesus doesn't like when you attack his friends. And so he chimed in with these famous words, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, to find the lost, to bring the dead back to life. That was Levi, the tax collector. But there's others in Luke's gospel. You may remember another one who was a woman. Luke doesn't give us her name. She is simply called a woman of the city. And she heard that Jesus had come to eat with one of the Pharisees in her town, a man named Simon. And Simon, when Jesus came into his house, gave Jesus nothing. He gave him no water for his feet, no kiss of peace, no anointing oil for his head. But this woman, this woman of the city, 
Well, she came and she anointed his feet. She washed them with her tears. She dried them with her hair. And she wouldn't stop. That woman was like a lost sheep at home with her shepherd. She was like a recovered coin. She was a repentant sinner there at Jesus' feet. And so with her tears, she she washed them. With her hair, she dried his feet. She anointed it with all the oil that she could bring. And she never stopped kissing those sacred feet of Jesus. But Simon, Simon saw her doing that. And he and everyone else at the table thought, this is gross. If he really were a prophet, if he really knew, right, if he knew what kind of a woman she was, what a sinful woman she was, she wouldn't let him touch him. But see, Jesus doesn't like when you grumble at his friends, and he definitely doesn't like when you attack repentant sinners. And so he put Simon in his place. He told him this parable in front of everyone. He shamed that wicked man. A moneylender had two debtors, Jesus said. One owed him 500, the other owed him 50. Neither of them could pay. And so when he canceled both of their debts, which do you suppose, Simon, you wise man, which do you suppose loved him more? The answer, of course, is obvious, isn't it? The one who owed him more. And then Jesus praised that woman that everyone else scorned, for Jesus always rejoices at repentance. Jesus praised her and said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, as you can see, Simon, by how much she loves me. See, always around Jesus, the dead live, the lost get found. And it didn't stop with Levi or with that woman. Later, there would be another tax collector. You may remember him. Zacchaeus was his name. He was a little man, remember? He was a little man who had to act like a child just to see Jesus. He had to run on ahead of everybody else. He had to climb up in a tree. When was the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree? But there he was, and he was glad to do it just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Zacchaeus got a whole lot more than a glimpse of Jesus. You know how the song goes, don't you? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree, man. Come down. Let's have a feast, for I'm coming to your house today. But other people saw that. And they thought, what in the world is he doing? This man is the guest of a sinner, of Zacchaeus. And of course, by now you should know, right, that Jesus doesn't give a rip what they say. Jesus does not like when we attack repentant sinners. And so he stood up for Zacchaeus. He proclaimed for everyone to hear, today salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. I bet that got right under their skin. Jesus knew right where to press. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And last but not least, who could forget the thief? Even in his dying woes, Jesus rejoices. Even when he can barely take a breath, our Lord always rejoices over repentance. And so it was that as he hung on the cross, there was this dying man next to him, this dying man who said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, taking one of those last gasps of breath, praised that man. Truly, 
He said, he took an oath. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And you can bet, can't you, that if any of those Pharisees heard Jesus say that to the dying man, they would have said what they said about him his whole life. What a loser. This man eats with sinners and tax collectors. He takes his last breaths to praise a dying man, a thief. They would have laughed at him, wouldn't they? But see, with Jesus, repentance is no joke. It is a source of joy. It is a source of laughter for our Lord. But it is never that Jesus laughs at the repentant sinner. It is that he rejoices with mirth over them. With Jesus, repentance is serious business. It is serious joy. It is paradisal joy. It is an oath and a vow that invokes joy. So let the Pharisees scoff. Jesus says, for heaven rejoices over sinners who are found. Note it well, dear friends, repentance means joy for Jesus. It means joy for his father and it means joy for anyone who's around them. The angels rejoice over sinners coming to repentance and the saints on earth ought to take note. We're supposed to be like the angels after all. So if they rejoice over sinners coming to repentance in heaven, let it be your joy as well. Repentance is joy for Jesus. It is joy for his father. It is joy for the angels, and it must be joy for you as well. Now, most of us wouldn't put those things together, would we? Repentance and joy? You've got to be kidding me. Those things are mutually exclusive, aren't they? Repentance is the worst day of your life. When someone calls you to repentance, you don't want to hear it, do you? I don't want to hear it. When someone says you have to repent, it is the worst possible news because you know what it means, don't you? It means you have to admit something that none of us wants to admit. I'm wrong. And then you have to do something even more dreadful. You have to put yourself at the mercy of someone else. Isn't that what repentance is? Admitting I am wrong, admitting all these things that I thought I knew were right and were good were actually wrong, and then laying my future in the hands of someone else. We recoil from repentance. We don't rejoice over it. How can there be anything worth celebrating when you have to admit that you were wrong? How can there be anything worth rejoicing over when you have to put yourself at the mercy of someone else? Consider the prodigal son. It was bad enough, wasn't it, for him to be hungry and starving. But then, then he had to realize, he had to realize that he wasn't a victim anymore, that these things weren't just happening to him because, you know, the universe was against him or something. But he had to realize that he had done this all to himself. It was almost too much for him to take, don't you think? His confession is heartbreaking when you listen to it. I don't deserve to be called your son. Just, just treat me like a servant. That's all I deserve. But in this wonderful parable, and we have three parables in one, right? Good Trinitarian stuff. In this wonderful parable of Christ our Lord's searching, finding, welcoming, hugging, kissing, running, bestowing, rejoicing mercy, we see what brings joy to our repentance. Now, it's true that narrowly defined, right? Narrowly defined, repentance means sorrow over sin. It means contrition. It means knowing that I have done wrong and admitting it, right? And there's not much joy in that. 
If you think of a preacher preaching repentance, most of you would not think of a smiling, rejoicing father. You would think of a stern, angry-looking man. Narrowly defined, that's what repentance is. It is turning away. It is changing your mind. It is putting yourself at the mercy of someone else, and nothing could be more dreadful than that. Because what might that person do to you? might hold that over your head, right? Just think of what the father could have done to that son. Just think of what that father could have inflicted on his son. You are a good-for-nothing son, after all. Look, you made me give me my, my property, my hard-earned property, and then you went and wasted it. I want to see a report on my desk tomorrow morning, boy. I want to see an accounting. I want to see all the things that you spent my money on, and you're going to pay it back, all of it. That's what could happen when you repent, couldn't it? You might lay yourself in the hands of someone else. You might put yourself at the mercy of someone else, and they might have no mercy at all. There'd be no joy in that kind of repentance. But what we see with Jesus, what we see with Jesus is repentance in its broad picture. And it is a panorama of mercy. It is a panorama of grace. Because repentance does not just mean turning away from sin, but it means turning towards Jesus. And when you turn towards Jesus, when you lay yourself at the mercy of Jesus, when you put your future in his hands, you do not find a master who says, Let's see the report. You do not find someone who holds it over your head, but you find someone who says, come, rejoice with me. You were lost, but now you are found. You are dead, but now you are alive. I will pay all that you owe. I will shed my blood for what you owe. I will put my life for yours. Come and rejoice. See, that is the joy of repentance. That is why repentance is always, always, always a joyful occasion. It is both, right? It is both the worst day of your life, the worst moment when you have to admit, I was wrong, I was dreadfully wrong, I have to put myself at Jesus' mercy. But it is the best day, for at the mercy of Jesus, at the mercy of Jesus, you are in the best possible spot. You are not weak. You are not being put down. You are not being cast off. You are being brought back to life. All around those Pharisees, dead men were coming back to life. It was like they were witnessing resurrection all around them, and the Pharisees thought it was a problem, which is really strange when you think about it, right? Who wouldn't celebrate when the town drunk gets dry? Who wouldn't celebrate when the guy who beats his wife quits beating her? Right? We would all think this is great stuff. How come the Pharisees aren't happy when tax collectors start being honest? How come the Pharisees aren't happy when prostitutes give up their terrible trade? It's not that they're unhappy because there's been an improvement. What they are unhappy about is that those sinners found the company of Jesus and not their company. See, what the Pharisees wanted above all was for the sinners to come to them so that they could inflict their punishment on the sinners, so that they could dole out their meat to the sinners, so that they could say, all right, now here's how you make amends, here's how you do it, listen to us, you be our disciples. But when these sinners went to Jesus, when they went to Jesus instead of the Pharisees, when they went to Jesus and found mercy from Jesus, new life with Jesus, forgiveness with Jesus, that just set them off. But see, Jesus doesn't care, does he? Jesus does not listen to their complaint and say, well, that's a reasonable concern that you have. 
No, Jesus always stands up for the repentant. He always cuts through the grumbling of the Pharisees then and even in our present day and defends those who come to him. For those who come to Jesus find, they find repentance means joy. It's like jumbo shrimp, right? Repentance, joyful repentance is like jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. Those two things shouldn't go together, jumbo shrimp. But you know, don't you, that the best thing on the menu is not just shrimp scampi. It's jumbo shrimp scampi. Because the problem with shrimp scampi is that those shrimp are always so shrimpy. They're always so small. So if you can get jumbo shrimp, you do it, right? The jumbo shrimp is like the joyful repentance of Jesus. When you come to Jesus and lay yourself down at his feet, you will not be disappointed. You will not be sent away saying, man, that was really hard. That was the worst day of my life. No, to lay yourself down at Jesus' feet, to admit that you were wrong, to admit that you need the forgiveness of Jesus, the guidance of Jesus, you're not going to lose out. You're not going to go away treated no longer like a son, but now like a hired servant. No, you will find with Jesus, well, what the prodigal son found, life from the dead. While he was still a long way off, the father ran. He sprinted out to find him. And while the son was still spitting out his confession, right, he had worked over that so much, he had crafted it all down. Father, I am no longer worthy to be found called your son. The father just cuts right through it all, right? He hugs him. He kisses him. He says to his servants, get the best robe, get the best ring, get the best food for this, my son. My son was dead, but he is alive again. Do you see how Jesus treats repentant sinners? Do not shrink back from repentance for yourself. Do not be scared when your sins are brought up to you and you have to lay yourself down at the feet of Jesus, for you will find the same thing that the prodigal found with his father. Not a demotion, but a promotion. Not something looming over your head, not somebody holding it over you, but you will find joy. You will find the joy of sins forgiven and the company, the company of fellow sinners, fellow sinners who have found with Jesus that forgiveness, forgiveness abounds. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.